Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. This is episode 116 of the Running Light Ministries Better Pleasure Podcast with Bo and Peter. And we're going to pick things up on Defining Equality Part 2. So this is Pride Month in our country, and we wanted to take some time to really delve into what this word equality means and what it doesn't mean and how it really has been um, used in our world today. So without further ado, you can check out the podcast. We kind of pick things up with a quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. So enjoy. After each failure, ask forgiveness, pick yourself up and try again. Very often when God first helps us towards it's not the virtue itself yeah it's not the virtue itself but it is the power of always trying Trying again again. yeah which is awesome (laughs) yeah which is a cool something that most people don't want to (laughs) hear right (laughs) right they're all what god's doing something else in me (laughs) but i don't want that (laughs) totally so um on this podcast we were going to talk a little bit more about um equality Hmm. And LGBTQ Pride Month. Yes. Yeehaw. Yes. So we had a good talk last week about this subject, and we kind of went all over the place again. But I keep coming back to this idea in my mind of equality and where is the the mishap between this idea of equality. And I like what you said about um, when you were, uh, quoting um, G.K. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I get this right. The only thought that uh, it was <laughs> the only thought that need that the only hey, don't tell me. <laughs> it's such a good You're one. You're almost there. I know. Yeah, it's no. <laughs> the only thought that must not be thought is uh, the thought that does not allow any other thought. Pretty much, yeah. Something like that, yeah, it's right? Pretty, yeah, that's the, that's the point. That's the main point. It's yeah. a, the direct quote is, uh, there is a thought that stops thought, and that is the only kind of thought that must be stopped. Yeah. 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 And so, and it's kind of this idea of, um, you know, when we concede to, in an argument or a discussion. Right. And we use this term equality. Right. That we can lose the argument already because we've already conceded right this equality right which you know maybe it's not there and and I was reading a little bit of stand to reason there um <laughs> they have a little post from Craig Conkle um on the stand to we- reason website that says the key to understanding the claims of same sex marriage so he's using same sex marriage as his example um, so the key to answering the claims of same-sex marriage advocates is understanding the basic rule of justice. Treat equals equally. So this is kind of what I'm thinking. If parties are not equal in a relevant sense, there is then no obligation of justice to treat them the same. Right. When someone demands the same recognition for homosexual unions as for heterosexual unions, remind him of the rule of justice. So we're to treat equals equally. That's the rule of justice. 
then ask if homosexual relationships are really equal with heterosexual ones. Does he actually believe there is no essential difference between the two? If there are essential differences, then the two are not equal and there is no moral obligation to treat them as if they were. Right. And that's kind of where it seems like um, you know, our society kind of is not being able to figure this out. Yeah, where the simplest way to put this, and this is something that the feminists who are fighting for equality, like what we would call the first wave feminists or first generation feminists back in the day, this is something that they really understood. It's kind of being lost now, but it's something that they really understood. In other words, when they were fighting for equality, they did not mean, and the way that they were using equality, I'm actually okay with. Uh, they did not mean that men and women were the same or that they should be compared. What they meant is that rights should be the same. That was the idea. So in other words, when they were fighting for equality, it's not men and women are equal. It was that rights should be afforded an equal proportion to both, which is a very Christian idea. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. That's the Christian idea of equality. It's not that we are literally the same. <laughs> it's not like men and women are literally the same because clearly there are distinctions between men and women within the church, within marriage, and things like that. But um, it's that we are afforded equal rights before God. We have equal access to God and his righteousness uh, through Christ. But uh, because of that, the, the simplest way to see the distinction here would be to look at sports. A first-wave feminist wanted there to be women's sports. What they never fought for was for women to be allowed to compete with male athletes. If they really thought that men and women were com comparable, they were the same, that's what they would have fought for. They would have said, yeah, let's have women and men compete in sports together. Let them compete. Like, so if you're going to have the 100-yard dash, women and men are on the same track, running at the same exact time, allowing their times to be compared. They never fought for that. They fought for women's leagues and they fought for women athletes, but they did not fight for them to compete on the same field at the same time because they understood there is a fundamental difference between women and men. So when they said equal rights, what they meant is if men are allowed to compete in sports, women should be allowed to compete in sports as well, not with the men, but they should be able to have their own competitive sports. This would apply to the homosexual marriage. If you're going to say a homosexual marriage ought to have the same rights or be viewed as, to put it this way, to be viewed as the same in society, you would have to be saying that they are equal or comparable to a heterosexual couple. And that's not true. And the only way you get there is to believe that men and women are fundamentally the same. That two men, so one man plus one man, equals one man plus one woman. It's the same exact thing. And some different proponents of this idea saw this point. So when we look at the current trans society that we live in, this, this very trans positive society we live in, many people point back to this ruling. I, I think it was back in like 2010 or something like that uh, with gay marriage really coming out and being prevalent. And it was under Obama, I believe. But uh, they really point back to this time because they're like, if you look at the equation, it makes sense of why today we believe that men and women are fundamentally interchangeable. They're the same because of 
one man plus one woman is mm. equal to one man plus one man or one woman plus one woman, that means that men and women are interchangeable in that equation. They don't really have any individual significance or gender specific roles or rights that are afforded to them. Yeah, and it, it it's like the word equal means sameness. Right. One is not equal to two. Right. One is not equal to zero. Right. So one is equal to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's right. But if you say one is equal to two, then all of a sudden you have a fundamental paradox. And that's what's happened. We've said man equals women, woman, and woman equals man. So therefore the rights are interchangeable, but they're not. So once again, going back to the first wave feminists, when they talked about equality, they didn't mean equality across the board, meaning that they never thought of men and women as being the same. They just wanted equal amounts of opportunity to the men. So in other words, what it's saying is, I recognize that men and women are different. So given those differences, the same kinds of rights that a man has, I want a woman to have those same kinds of rights as well. That was the idea. Now it's the idea of, no, so in modern day, the way that someone would make this argumentation, if they had that same idea, is men, uh, two homosexual men who are married and two homosexual women who are married are not the same as a heterosexual couple. However, given the differences, right, accepting that they are different, how do we make an amount of fairness so that they have at least, given the differences, the same kinds of rights? that a heterosexual couple would, would have. That is something that would be like, we could accept that premise and we can have an honest dialogue about legally what kind of a right should a homosexual couple have, what kind of rights should they not have. But the second you make the equation and say, no, 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 a homosexual couple is the same as a heterosexual couple. Therefore, we should have the same exact rights. So once again, if you accept the premise, you have to accept the conclusion because how could you deny the conclusion right if you accept the premise. But how could you deny any conclusion? That's right. Because <laughs> if you do, then you're in the camp with the uh, heterosexual, or the, yeah, the heterosexual couples that's saying, hey, we're not the same. Yeah. So if, if you know, right? That's right. So Where, I, I don't, I can't really think, I mean, don't get me wrong, there were some, there were some Christians out there who were just flat out like, no, there should be, you know, there shouldn't be anyone who's gay. And, Hey, you're there right. Shouldn't <laughs> be anybody who's yeah, there shouldn't be anyone who's gay. <laughs> and there shouldn't be any okay. same-sex relationships whatsoever. It's like, but those were fringe people. I don't think they, any of them were really had the spotlight or any of them were really being taken seriously. Uh, obviously, we understand that we live in a country that is not a theocracy. Uh, you can argue that the principles that undergird our legal system come from biblical ideas but it's not a theocracy. It's not like Sharia law in a Muslim majority country. It's not like that. So therefore, because of that, we have to accept there are a lot of people in this country that are not saved. They're not Christians. They don't share the Christian worldview, and yet they have rights. So in other words, I'm not going to look at a couple who is, let's say, a swinging couple, right? A man and a woman who are married, but they have extramarital affairs. I'm not going to strip their rights or, or abilities away from them because they're not following the Christian norm of monogamy. No one's really fighting for that. The idea is 
And this is why people came up with the phrase civil union. It was to show this is different than a marriage. But now that we've codified it as a civil union, how do we make sure that these people engaging in a civil union have rights, that there is something afforded to them as a result of this union? But it was understanding there's a difference. There's marriage and then there's civil union. They're different things because it's a different thing <laughs> altogether. Yeah, in your opinion, why is the government so caring about marriage anyway? <laughs> I think that it fundamentally goes back to the founding fathers and why they created uh, the Constitution the way that they did. So in other words, for the founding fathers, they had a very Christian idea of marriage. They had a very, um, even the ones who weren't Christians, right? think about it, like Thomas Jefferson, right? These guys aren't Christians, but they still thought, they still were very influenced by Protestant culture and they still believed that that marriage was important, that it was important to have one man and one woman. Uh, you have guys like Thomas Jefferson who had mistresses. So they were like, they had more of a Greek idea. They were like, yeah, marriage is important. Why? Because it's important to have a man and a woman that's able to raise a family together. But if you want to have extramarital stuff, that's cool. You know, that was, that was his idea. But they still believed that marriage was important, that it was the foundation for the culture that you needed to have a strong heterosexual relationship to raise the kids so that they had feminine qualities that were taught to them and masculine qualities that were taught to them. They thought that was very, very important and that needed to be encouraged and it needed to give, uh, that's why they're giving them tax breaks. That's why they wanted to encourage this kind of behavior. They wanted to be involved in it because they believed it was important for a family's growth to be able to have that foundation. Um, now, as you get going, you see that people... <laughs> as you get going. <laughs> as you get going through history, you see that people start pulling further and further away from that foundation, and you finally get to the place where people are like, wait, who says that that's a good foundation for a family? Right. You know, why do you need a male and a female influence? Why not have... I mean, if one man's good, why not six men? Well, it seems you know? like the down, the 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 prob. I mean, it seems like this is this is how it would go. Is like, if you really wanted heterosexual marriage to be the dominant, then at some point you would have held to laws that would have said we're not going to allow any other various other types of sexual relationships. Right. Which. Legally some, was the case. That's right, which legally was the case. So at some point, you know, as obviously more secularization comes into people's lives, um, and it's probably through a lot of harshness, too. I'm sure there was a lot of mistreatment and ill behaviors and all kinds of yuck yeah. that made people look at the uh, Protestant uh, influence and went, oh, I don't want this at all. Right. Like, you know, that kind of attitude. And then there's the backlash of people going, hey, let's throw off this thing. Right. Um, but and in, in, in you come to today where today you can live in such a vast array of sexual behavior. Yeah. And really free. Mm -hmm. um, you can engage in a lot of things. I, I, I mean, there's certain things that I, I think are still illegal, like you can't enter into a polygamy. You can't, can't rape someone. Can't rape someone. You can't uh, have even pedophilia. Statutory rape still yeah. on the books. Um, Incest. Yeah. Well, not in all states. Um, mm -hmm. I think first cousins are 
le- you legally can have a sexual relationship with a first cousin and down in Mississippi. And yeah, I think Mississippi <laughs> is one of them. I think it's like some. I yeah, have to I remember look it reading. I remember reading something about. But it's that. a shocking. I think it's like fifteen or sixteen states are totally cool with first cousin yeah. incest, which yeah. is. <laughs> Which is shocking, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, that, that might shock some people. But, it, but, but it's in true, some yeah. f- in some families, I imagine, you know, you're in a small town, and you, you know, I, you know, your close family. It's like <laughs> I don't know if you have any other choice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, you my cousin, great. <laughs> you know, better than my sister. <laughs> Good, because you know? there's yeah. only three thousand people <laughs> in the town. <laughs> there's only seven families that have run this whole town forever. Oh gosh. You know, <laughs> so it's like sometimes I think, oh man, maybe I don't know, maybe that's how it goes. But uh, um, yeah, but it, predominantly there's a lot of freedom. Yeah. Um, and that that brings up an interesting question, you know, for someone who's a proponent of modern day equality. If they're like, no, 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 love is love. That was the that was the line, right? To su- suggest that it's equal. Why is it equal? Why is two men equal to one man, one woman? Because love equals love. So we're not equating the genders. We're equating what binds the genders, that there is love that is uniting the relationship and love is love. Okay. So if you're going to take that and you're going to apply it across the board and say, okay, should a 50-year-old have the same rights as he's marrying a two-year-old, right? Is that okay? Is that union if love is love? And they might fight back and say, well, consent. Okay, fine. If a 50-year-old marries a 10-year-old who consents to it. You know, let's say it's a very mature 10 year old. They consent to it. Should they be afforded the same rights, same legal rights to get married, have the same kind of relationship as a man and woman who are consenting? Even a 17 year old. Yeah. 17 year old. They might be like, yeah, but you might be like, I don't know if your brain's fully yeah. developed. <laughs> I don't know if you're really ready <laughs> for that kind of decision. Um, or you could, you could take it the other way. Brother and sister. Right. right. Should they be able to get married? Father and daughter. Should they be able to get married? Consenting adults. Right. Everything's fine. They make the decision, should they be afforded the same rights? And they would say no. Get a tax break. Yeah, get a tax break. Why Why not, right? Why not? Maybe the social stigma is against it. And their argument, if you said that, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. Because if you say love is love, then that means that what makes it a marriage is the loving nature of it. Right? Which is subjective. Have, which is completely subjective. There's no way to quantify it. Right. Right. And you love him. Yes. (laughs) You love her. Yes. Okay. Bam. Love is love. Love is love. That's it. (laughs) That's all that matters. And I think they would realize we have to have some amount of restrictions, meaning that we can't look at all relate. Not all relationships are equal. Not all sexual relationships are the same. And therefore, they should not be given the same rights. And they would understand that. So, again, it's not saying that they shouldn't be given any rights. Again, me as a Christian, I'm not saying that there are these behaviors that we should just flat out persecute people for. But there are some that should be, right? So, again, the same kind of person would say, yeah, that guy should go to jail. A father marrying his daughter should go to prison. Okay. So, you're suggesting that some sexual decisions, regardless if they're led by love, should be penalized. And we shouldn't allow them. And again, this is a consensual, loving relationship. And you're still saying, no, 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 we should penalize that. Well, that shows something. It shows that we agree that not all sexual relationships are created equal. And some are good, some are better, some are best, some are bad, and some are worse, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how we determine what kind of rights should be allotted to each type of relationship. Yeah, so, you know, 
there must be something that in government that has to be really important for them to want to be in the marriage game. <laughs> uh, it is interesting because th- that was a that was a newer kind of development because you have to remember the Christians writing in the early church, they didn't really care what the state thought. Right. And the reason is because they lived in a state that had very interesting and different ideas about marriage. And the early Christians, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they could have easily written back to him and be like, this is what's legal in Rome. Everybody does it. Prostitution is legal, Paul. (laughs) It's not considered weird. I am in a monogamous relationship. I love all my wives, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just, I'm in this very, very committed relationship to all, just all these people. What's wrong with that? So the, the Christians really didn't care what the culture or the state was doing. They encouraged a different type of marriage. So when Paul and them are encouraging marriage, they're, they're not talking about what the state recognized. They're only talking about what the church community recognized. That's their focus. But now that kind of Christianity became, as they would say, the hegemony, right? As they became like the predominant ones, it got a little intertwined and the the state started to it got a little bit mixed up and the state started to think started to take some of the roles that the church originally had exclusively, right? Which would be like marriage, right? Things like that. Right. you know, I've heard it debated that the government is involved in marriage because of the importance of progeny. Yeah. That a state can't grow and hence make money, build it, what all that's entailed yeah. in a country so, so without like, progeny right so so basically and most this is a debatable topic in Christ, Christendom by the way there's not there's no hard fast rules that are out there but a, a debate could certainly be had between two Christian believers and I could see someone disagreeing with this and I could see someone agreeing with it so someone who agrees with that statement would say the role of the government because the only role that we get in Romans 13 is that the government has a judicial function. In other words, the government is there to punish. It has a retributionary function to punish evildoers and to protect the citizens from outside attacks. That's all Paul lays out. That's it. You know, that's the only thing that he says government is supposed to do by God's uh, divine command. Uh, he doesn't really give anything else other than that. So once we get past what's just wrong and should be penalized by the law, then we get into the idea of should the government have the authority or the power to encourage things? Should we give the government the ability to, say, give tax breaks to people who want to start a business or to give more money to someone who is, say, using it in something that profits the government? Uh, Let's say contractors or something like that. Should the government be able to encourage that kind of behavior? Uh, How about R&D, research and development? Should the government help out universities? Should the gov- Right, and this gets into a debate. Some Christians would say, no. <laughs> the government has no right or authority to encourage good behavior. They're only there to discourage bad behavior. That's it. We should not be paying tax money for the government to encourage good behavior. But under that umbrella would fall marriage. 
Uh, the reason why the government's involved in marriage, the reason why government cares is because you get benefits, legal benefits as a married couple that you don't have as a single couple. You get tax breaks and you get certain things in that order. But why do they give them? They give them to encourage marriage. And but, this would but, be, but then why? And this I hate would to be, be the sucked. debate. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I know. I, I totally see where you're going with it. Yeah. Where the, the idea that you already gave, which is correct, is that they believe that progeny is very important, that marriage is a good thing that helps the country. So the government, therefore, the government ought to encourage it. That's yeah. the idea. And, and so I, I think my point in making is that when we talk about equality, even when we look at the history of why the government's even involved in the marriage business at all. Um, it's not moral. Yeah, it leads us to the idea that there must be some kind of inequality right. or else God, or else the government would never be in the marriage business. Right. Because um, they would that just... That they're giving advantage. Right. They, they, they see something of value mm -hmm. in a certain way. Right. And, and it obviously has to do with offspring because mm -hmm. um, if it didn't have to do with, uh, with offspring they certainly would have you know tossed out they would have just said hey just do what you want to do <laughs> we're out of it you know and it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because they now give more money to people that have offspring but are not married so in other words if me and my wife wanted to make more money we would get legally divorced, she would file as a single mother, and we would get way more money from the government than we get right now, especially uh, because I make the majority of the income for the household. So it'd be very easy for us to get legally divorced, we separate our finances, and then she could claim a bunch of welfare benefits for being a single mother. So. It's very. I just kind of throw that out there as a yeah. as an interesting development. It still has to do with progeny, right? It still has to do with progeny, but it's not really about marriage anymore, right? And that's the point I'm making. Where yeah. it seems like they're more onto like what you're saying that it's just about having kids. Yeah, and it, and it's really odd because polygamy was. That's the best way to have kids. Yeah, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that was a lot of kids. That was outlawed, you know, by the United States. And uh, obviously, the Mormon Church's history hi is very uh, detailed, and and uh, um, and there's many sources you can go to 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 find out about um, the 1890 decision to uh, do away with polygamy mm -hmm. um, in the church, and um, you know all that jazz. But uh, and, and it's been written on forever. Um, and obviously there was people in the government that saw polygamy as a real departure. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so you think like it, it should be, you know, if they were really into just the children being right. born, they would have been like really cool. Yeah. <laughs> they would have been like, this is really good. But there was something about polygamy and and, and maybe it's attachment to Mormonism. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, the Mormon cult, you know, as it was thought of so much back then. Right. You know, that maybe it, uh, maybe that influenced the uh, politicians of the day. Right. To be like, no. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I could see that there was definitely an influence of Protestantism that was within the United States. Right. But they also saw that there was an importance of, 
of marriage between um, heterosexual couples. Right. Um, to so, in other words, the idea is it's not a quantity of offspring that we're looking for. It's a quality. And they believe that the way, the best way to get the best quality of offspring was to have a family unit comprised of one man or one woman raising the children together. That was their idea. And like you said, it, it's heavily influenced by Protestantism. That's yeah, and I don't, I don't even think it has to be totally Protestantism. I, I kind of take a page out of Thomas Sowell's kind of mind here where him talking about slavery talks about the influence of Protestantism. But there was all, also an influence of just enlightenment of thought anyway, mm -hmm. just thinking outside the box. Right. And I think uh, that eliminated slavery too. And and I think even in, in the United States with marriage, there probably was a lot of people that really didn't hold fast, like you say, to uh, all the Christian dog, uh, doctrines. Mm -hmm. But there was this idea, too, like you say, of quality, looking at polygamy and looking at women's rights mm -hmm. and looking at abuses right. of polygamy. Because it really was more polygamy, male polygamy, what's right. called polygyny, I think it is. I polygyny. think so, yeah. And, um, you know, so you didn't see a, uh, what is it, a polyandry. Right. So you didn't see one w woman, woman, many. Many men, yeah. Right. Um, you saw it just the other way. Yeah. So it makes sense that there was a, uh, uh, a not a, a quantity issue. Right. But it was a quality issue. Right. Where And, and even, even going off of what you said last week when we were talking about this, of why... Why 2010? You know, wh why, why 200 years after the founding of this country, all of a sudden we're talking this way? And the point that you made is, why would you even fight for marriage rights for a homosexual couple if the couple can't have any progeny? So in other words, if you're, if you're living in a world where two men are getting married, you know, they're, they're starting a marriage together, there would really be no point to codify that relationship because they're not having kids. They're just two guys who are now living together. So there's really nothing to fight for. It's just you have a sexual relationship with someone that you're living with, but there's no intent for kids. There's no intent to, to develop in that way. So why even fight for the rights? The reason why the rights were being so vehemently fought for is because of the advancements of science where all of a sudden, no, their marriage can be equated with kids. So they wanted not only the rights to be able to adopt as a couple and to have the same rights as a heterosexual couple adopting, but they also wanted to have the rights of doing things like artificial insemination and uh, using surrogates and things like that to have their own children and to again be afforded the same kind of rights as a heterosexual couple. So it became much more, you know, uh, much more of an important topic at that point than it would have been at any other point in time. Uh, whereas, Again, if what you're saying is just like it's just a pragmatic desire to just have kids, then yeah, polygamists would have had their foot in the door a long time ago. <laughs> you know, they would have had a, right. a really good argumentation. Yeah, you know, because if you're if you're looking at the government to really set up things that are equal, and you're equating like polygamy with uh, uh, monogamy. Right. And you really believe that those are equal. It's the same thing, yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Then, obviously, you're redefining the term equal. Right. Because it's not the same. Right. You know, but 
we're calling it the same. Yeah. And so if the argument falls um, all under the umbrella of equality and, you know, we're all equal under this new law, this new definition. Yeah. Then who's to, you know, who is the person who's putting in, <laughs> you know, what underneath that umbrella of equality? Yeah. Um, you know, and what is really the, what is, is there any distinguishing differences at all? Because you can't, you know, it, it makes it so confusing because if something's the same. Right. And you're saying, but we're not the same. Well, then you're different. Right. You know, you can't have something be the same and different at the same time. And then have an expectation of equal rights for <laughs> something that is different. Right, <laughs> right. It would yeah. be it would be absolutely weird. Yeah. You know, we have to be able to, it seems like in a society, understand differences. And that's where we're so off is we can't seem to just go, hey, this is, we're different. Yeah. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.